0: Good morning. Welcome to Grace Community Christian Church. We are so blessed to have you with us this morning. I'd like to let you know that we'll be taking a, a break this week from our series in Acts. Uh, it's a perfect time, too, as we see the transition uh, from Peter being the central um, focus and the narrative to halt starting next week. But today we're going to be discussing Father's Day. We're going to be talking about fathers. A few weeks ago or uh, um, several weeks ago, we were discussing mothers. We thought we would kind of put the focus on fathers this morning with it being Father's Day and Father's Day has become a very difficult holiday in our society. And why I say that is because our our culture no longer sees the Father as necessity, but rather a mere accessory if if available. Also, our culture has... um, no idea what to do with Father's Day as the cultural climate in our society becomes extremely more anti-male centric. A celebration of any kind towards male is very awkward through the culture today. There's almost a, a witch hunt occurring before our eyes in culture. And what are they hunting? What do they hope to eradicate? appears to be any semblance of masculinity. Understand this has not come out of of nowhere. For decades now, the role of patriarchy in the family has been under attack. Rarely is there a television show where the husband or the father, if there is one at all, he's always incompetent, he's always foolish, he's the local village idiot. And it was almost 30 years ago now that the infamous story arc on Murphy Brown appeared where the title character, strong, independent woman, did not need a man to help raise her child. He was not a necessity. He was merely an accessory. And at the time, a social fire was lit. But where are we now? The movement that took hold in defense of a fictional character's choice to raise a child without a father, unfortunately had real world ramifications. Today, many communities in the U.S., especially urban communities, 80% of all babies born are to single mothers with no father figure in the home. Hollywood actresses today have made a, a movement of sorts out of having or adopting children with no male presence. I like to collect articles uh, to use as reference at times. And in one article over a social study of, of the results on children with and without fathers in the home, W. Bradford Wilcox of the University of Virginia stated in an interview with the National Review, in urban America, the social sciences indicate that children who grow up in intact married families are significantly more likely to succeed in school, avoid teenage pregnancy, and stay away from the law. Wilcox shares four significant findings of the study. One, children living with their fathers intact in married homes are 50% less likely to be sexually abused than children living in single parent homes. Boys who grow up with fathers intact, married at home are 50% less likely to go to prison. Girls who grow up apart from their father typically experience the act of puberty at an earlier age, acting out, resulting in the statistic to become a young, unwed mother. Communities with large numbers of fatherless homes are significantly more likely to experience high levels of murder and theft. But not only do we see the issue of fathers now being removed from the homes, but unprotected children are bombarded with an all-out assault of gender identity in the culture wars. There's a fog of confusion over the question of gender today. What it means to be a male or a female has been routinely discounted by a society infatuated with unlimited personal autonomy. Gender roles in our culture are seen as oppressive, limiting and intolerant. Boys and young men especially are devastated by this as they are desperately looking for models of manhood and answers to questions that arise of male identity, responsibility and male roles. But they're met with a a tidal wave of confusion, misdirection, and condemnation for desiring to be a man. Today, any form of masculinity is seen as aggressive or oppressive. We've seen this just months ago. As the Boy Scouts were seen as an oppressive organization, because they were geared towards, in fact, boys. Now they will be known as the scouts. See, with the culture sending unbiblical, unnatural ideas to our children of what female and male identity are, it is ever so important now for men, for fathers to fulfill their role in the homes in which they are called. What does that look like? Turn with me to Deuteronomy, please. A little bit about this book. The name translates into second law. The author is Moses. The entire book of Deuteronomy takes place over a month-long period. It places emphasis on the people of Israel, the actual people, not the priests or the prophets. It is directed at the nation of Israel. And it is a lot of law and farewell speeches from Moses. Moses. And we may we may not be under the the covenant that they were at this time. There's much here in principle in which we are to apply as God's people. Turn with me, if you would, to Deuteronomy 6, starting with verse 1. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules, that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. Now, if we look at verses 1 through 3, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules, that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. Right there in verse 1, immediately we see that the following is a commandment. These are statutes. Moses is a father figure of sorts to Israel, and he is concerned with the, the next generation and their obedience to God. As fathers, a major concern of ours should be the next generation, building them up, teaching them, raising them in the ways of the Lord. Let me ask you, what kind of father are you? Men, what kind of father are you? See, doesn't matter how old your children are, if they're at home or not, you never stop being a father. Your role may change a bit, but you're still a father. What kind are you? We need to understand that fathers can be absentee fathers and live in the home. This is tough for us to hear at times, but at times we can be absentee fathers and be in the same house as our children. It's been a long day i'm tired i want to relax they're somewhere doing their thing in the home and i want to watch tv or vegetate or close my eyes or whatever i i want to be in the garage i want to be in the the barn the shed out back to myself i'm home but I'm not really there. Listen, I'll I'll raise my hand on this, been there, done that. How was that being concerned with the next generation that I'm asked to lead and build up? It's a pattern and once we're in it, it is so hard to break. How was your father when you were growing up? Did he seem concerned with the next generation and their devotion to God? Or did he come home and was he just there? You see, oftentimes, men, what we like to do is we like to measure ourselves as fathers against our father. And we like to say things like, well, I'm a, I'm a better father than my father, or I'm a better father than my stepfather was, or I'm a better father than this person or that person. But the truth is, your father could have been a great guy. You could know that your father loved you. But was he raising a godly generation after him? Was that his concern? You see, we have to face hard facts at times that our fathers may have been great people and they may have loved us. They had areas of failure. And so when we look at them and go, I'm being a better father than my father was, or I want to be a better father than my father was, your father is not the standard. The standard is set by God in the scriptures of what a father is. Your, your standard is not set by your father. Your standard is not the standard set by the father down the street or your best friend or whoever. You see, when we compare our own walk, when we compare our own maturity, when we compare our own faith to other people, we're really comparing them to a very low standard. The standard we should compare all things to is this God standard, which is set out in the scriptures. And when I compare my fatherhood to that standard, I understand I need a lot of work. See, the Bible should be the standard in which we compare ourselves. So comparing ourselves to the Bible, what kind of father are you? Now listen, right back in verse 1, Moses lets us know that this is a commandment. Everything following here is a commandment. That's a statute of God's. To go against a commandment is breaking God's law, which is what? That's right, it's it's sin. So failing to meet my role as a father, to 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 disregard and blatantly not adhere to this commandment is sin. And We we will one day stand before God and have to give an account on how we ministered to and raised our children. Because they were placed in our care. And if that's the case, And there are times that I have failed miserably. There are times that I am ashamed that I'm going to have to give an account before God. Because there are times when it's hard to fulfill that role. And it's easy to say, but I'm being a better father than this person or that person. But what I should be saying is, I am not as good as God's standard, in which he's called me to as a father, which he set for me. So this commandment continues. Going on, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son, and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Look at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Here we go in verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now we have to understand that Moses is addressing the Israelites in the context of a multi generational view. So he, being a patriarch to the nation of Israel, is speaking to them, raising the next generation of God's people. As fathers, we are in fact men tasked with raising the next generation of God's people. And look at this commandment for those in that role. Verse 5 again. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is how you are to love God and model that love for God. How important is this commandment? Some of you may may know where I'm going with this. Turn to Matthew 22, starting with verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, he being Jesus, They gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he, Jesus, said to him, You shall love your God, or you shall love the Lord your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Jesus himself calls this the great commandment. He's calling back to this verse in Deuteronomy. And he's saying this is the first and most important commandment. And as leaders raising the next generation, men, fathers, Moses, by authority of God, directs it of us. See, this is applicable to us. Can you say this commandment describes you? Can you say this commandment describes the role that you're fulfilling as a father? Now the irony of this commandment is not lost due to its verbal direction. Moses is directing this at these men who are tasked with raising the next generation as they prepare to enter the promised land. Jesus is directing the same commandment at those who were tasked with teaching the next generation of Israelites whom were failing. Now understand this was not merely some legalistic jargon that Moses was using here look at verse 6 and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart this is a command to write on our hearts now listen this is not physical writing he's saying that these things need to this needs to be a part of your very being That obedience to loving God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might, isn't mere words or an act, but it's the very being of who you are. Well, how does this happen? Listen, this happens from being fed and edified with God's word. But this does not come from Sunday alone. I hear all the time, I read the Bible and I can't get it. I feel like I've stalled or I plateaued. Listen, if you think showing up here and hearing a sermon once a week on a Sunday morning is enough, I can't emphasize how dead wrong you are. If you're taking in more of the world, more of the secular world's message in a day, any day, then you're taking in God's word, you have a problem. Of course you've plateaued. Of course you can't get it. You're being bombarded with a secular, worldly message from TV, from music, from radio more than God's message. Which do you think is influencing you more? And sadly, in this day and age with the access on our phones and our tablets and our computers, that we have God's word being exposited by master theologians and pastors from the present and the past at our fingertips. So if you're not being edified and you've plateaued, that's either due to laziness or sheer rebellion. And if we're not listening to things that edify us with God's word, then we need to be in God's word daily. Listen, you know, earlier when I talked about getting home and and being zoned out, listen, everyone needs time to be edified. We're not talking about watching TV or playing video games, but quiet time to read and study God's word. Men, you need that. Why is it that men struggle with this? I see so many women who are willing to be in God's word and so many men who, for whatever reason, it's like pulling teeth to get them to crack their Bible open in a day. It's like like pulling teeth to have them listening or hearing the word of God other than on a Sunday morning so they can show up and look good to their family. You live with your family seven days a week. They need to see you in the Bible. Your kids need to see you in the Bible. They need to know you're being edified. They need to know you're being fed. However you get that, that's on you. And listen, ladies, your husband, he's been tasked to disciple and train And wash with the word, you and your children. He needs time to be fed by God's word. How can he feed you if he's not in the word? I'm not talking about avoiding the family to hide out. I'm talking about if he needs set time, an hour or whatever, to get into God's word on the day. Men, women, children. With that, understand, you will not grow if your diet and intake is more of the secular world than it is of God's truth. What you are taking in, you are writing on your heart. It's being written on your heart. Now listen, we all take in secular influences. Items during the day. I'm not suggesting that we become Amish and we shut ourselves off from anything and everything except the Bible. That would be merely impossible, as we go to work and as we we interact with the world. But our daily intake, if we're going to do as commanded, to write this on our heart, to be able to teach this diligently. needs to be more of God's word than the secular world's word. People, men, women, kids grow when they are saturating themselves with the teaching and studying of God's word. I don't only know this from my own life, I've seen it directly in others' lives. Pastors and teachers who we use here material and we see and we listen to who I've had been or have been blessed with the opportunity to meet and talk to repeatedly say the same thing. Emphasize, emphasize the importance of your flock being in God's Word, hearing God's Word, not just Sunday morning. And I'm not talking about Christian radio stations. Sometimes those Christian radio stations are worse than secular stations. Some of the theology on those radio stations are are dime store theology. They're, They're a joke. Good exposition of God's word. And it's not hard to find. You don't have to search very far to find good expositors expositing the Word of God. You don't have to search very far, I hope, in your homes for your Bible. It needs to be written on your heart. Now Moses goes directly at the fathers here. How do we know? Because the fathers were the ones tasked with teaching their children and discipling their children. Look at verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So men, fathers, not only are we tasked with writing God's word on our heart, We are to teach them diligently to our children. This means not to be an absentee father in your home. You, men, fathers, you're not asked, you're not suggested to, you are commanded to diligently teach God's word to your children. You cannot do that if you're not feeding yourself God's word. And secondly, if your focus is on only you. Guys, isn't that what this really comes down to? We get selfish. We're tired. We want to relax. We want to find out the score. I'm guilty of this. I know it's not exclusive to me. But it's not about us. It's about God. God. And he's tasked us with diligently raising up our children, the next generation, for him. He's a multi-generational God, so we must be a multi-generational people. We must be teaching and discipling our children, the next generation. This is more than I will model hard work or I'll live it out in front of them. This is literally hands-on. This is being deliberate in the discipling of your children. So what's this look like? See, they directly taught their children what God had done repeatedly. The Israelites were constantly teaching the next generation and telling the next generation what God had done, delivering them out of Egypt, the things that they had seen, the things that they had done, It was important for them, their children, to know God and all that they could know about God. Listen, today, you may not be a theologian. You may not be a scholar, but you're still a father. And you're commanded with teaching your children God's word. We have, we have multiple things to help us do this. With catechisms to help with this, you know, catechisms not a, a, a Catholic thing. There are Catholic catechisms, but there are also regular Christian catechisms. It's catechism is rote memorization. If you learned the times table in school, that's a catechism. It's repeatedly doing things over and over again, or learning something over and over again. We've done catechisms with our kids after dinner, the 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 Westminster Shorter Catechism. Who? What is? What is the chief end of man? Well, to to bring glory to God. What? How many gods are there? There's one God. How many persons? There's three: the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. There's on and on, and they do this over and over again, just asking questions nightly. And over time with rote memorization, yes, it first becomes just something they remember, but as they grow, when they mature, they start putting it together and going, Oh, I, I understand this, I see, and they may mature and they grow, and it's not just in their head, but it becomes written in their heart. We have confessions, the Westminster Confession, Second London Baptist Confessional, the the several to the help. These were things that theologians did. They 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 made certain theological concepts bite-sized directly from the scriptures so they were easier to digest and easier to teach there's all kinds of, of of help in this area nothing replaces the scriptures themselves just reading the scriptures with your children Anything that drives you and your family into the word of God. There's a litany of sermons and lessons online. There is no excuse not to fulfill this today. And grandfathers and people with adult children, guess what? Your role in your child's life may have changed, but you are still a patriarch tasked with praying. Preaching into your adult children, pouring into your adult children. You have you've just gone from from being the king to the sage. You know, when we first come to Christ, we're almost like the, the the cowboy. It's it's a new new open range for us. A lot of times we act like like a dog that just got off the leash. We don't even know where to run. We want to tell people. We want to talk about it. We we try to get as much information as we can, and then as we mature. We, we mature into a leader and somewhat of a king in our home. And then as our children grow and they leave, we become a sage. We become a good, wise, godly counsel to them. So your role changed as far as how you're going to interact, but you're still pouring into your children. Ministry never ends. We need to understand that. No one ever ages out of ministry. There is no age limit on ministry, even in the home. Look at verse 8. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as fontlets, frontlets between your eyes. Moses is, is using phrasing here that the Israelites would understand. He's telling the these godly people, that they should meditate and be directed by God's command, not shy away from it, not forget it. This should be in the forefront. Fathers, men, we've been tasked, we've been commanded to love our Lord, the God, with all our heart. All our soul, all our might, and to diligently teach that to our children. And when, look at this, you shall you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. This is ev- this is everything. This is all encompassing. Everything is a teachable moment. Men, use everything as a teachable moment to teach your children about the grace, the mercy, sovereignty, the faithful promises of God. Look at verse 9. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Our houses should be havens of God's word, never void of it. Our children should know that God's word is present, talked about, preached about, learned about in our homes. Sadly, I admit that there are days I fail miserably at this, that there are days when my children take in more of this secular influence material in their day than godly. There's no excuse for that. I can say it's time. I can say maybe I'm ill. I can say maybe I'm tired. But there's zero excuses other than I failed. Not my wife. Not my kids. This is on me. Men, this is on us. Men as fathers, We are commanded to disciple and teach our children the ways of the Lord. It is solely on us. Men, we've been called to a high calling. To disciple and lead our family spiritually, our children need it. Our grandchildren need it. Men, your wives need it. In a world where everything, men, that's considered even remotely masculine, is considered to be passe. In a world where the biblical definition of what a man is, is is considered outdated to our culture. In a secular culture where women are being pressured to grab more control and more authority and where the basic nature of Of creation the biological makeup of gender has come into confusion and our boys are being vilified for becoming men our homes need Christian fathers who are obedient to God and deliberate with his command to lead and disciple we were called to the role this day celebrates not by circumstance not by mistake but by God we are commanded to fulfill that role by his standard. Men, what kind of father are you? Let's pray.